Our series is called Shift, and the first time I brought the talk to you three weeks ago, we talked about what would happen if a car couldn't shift out of low gear. It would, the engine would rev harder, and you'd burn up a lot of resources, fuel, and then beyond that, you would run the risk of burning up the engine. And we said that that's a metaphor for where many of us are. It's not that we're not trying, we're revving hard, but the problem is we're burning up resources, life and energy, and then beyond that, where many of us are about that close to burnout. And so what we're looking at is we're looking at some people that God shifted into a more advantageous gear. And not only that, in each of the five cases, the shift was so pronounced that God actually changed the name. So we're in the third week of that series, and the talk that I'm about to bring to you today is the most personal of all the talks, because in my case, I have lived out what I'm going to talk about. And for some of you, who are wired like me, today's talk is going to be very important because you're going to see yourself and you're going to see what's involved in shifting. For others of you, you may not be wired the same way, but they're going to be universal principles that will apply to all of us before this talk is through. Um, the story that we're going to talk about and the person whose, whose name Jesus changed is a story that's challenging. And one of the cool things about delivering the talks on Saturday night and Sunday morning, I do two on Saturday and two on Sunday, is I get to go home in between, kind of at halftime. And like coaches in the NFL, um, I make halftime adjustments. In fact, this, this is really true. I know it's going to sound crazy, but in my sleep, on Saturday night, I'm working on the message. And so I thought about last night's talk, and, and although I think it was helpful, one of the problems that I discovered with bringing the talk last night is that we had to kind of go forward in the narrative and then back up and then go forward and back up in order to make the points. So in the concern that maybe there might not be clarity, I, I worked on four statements that this talk is about. So if I get lost in the weeds telling the story of this guy, I want to start you out at least with four statements that frame this talk. You ready? Here we go. Here's the first one. We are designed by our creator to live out a destiny, and we're equipped with a set of strengths. I am convinced that that's true. You are designed with a destiny in mind. God does not make, make us in a group sense and say, this is my destiny for this big group. Now, corporately as a church, we have a destiny to live out. But God, if God makes every snowflake different, it's certainly true that every human being is different. So whoever you are, I am convinced that you are designed by your creator with a specific destiny. And then God, being the way he is, he has equipped you with a set of strengths to achieve that destiny. Here's the second statement. If we are operating in our weaknesses, even our strengths can work against us. Now, what I mean by that is if, it, 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 let's back up for a moment. You had a set of strengths and you also have a set of weaknesses. Oftentimes, our weaknesses are the shady sides of our strengths. But if you are functioning, trying, trying to achieve that destiny, utilizing primarily your weaknesses, not only will your weaknesses work against you, your strengths, as we'll see in today's talk, can actually come back to bite you. Here's the third statement. And this is really big, and I can't overstate this. We tend to function in our weaknesses because we're trying to live up to expectations never intended for us. I mean, if you think about those first two statements, they would beg a question. Why would we function in our weaknesses? There has to be some sort of compelling reason. And that reason that we function in, in our weaknesses oftentimes is we're trying to live up to expectations that have been transferred onto us Maybe by the culture, maybe by our parents when we were growing up, 
maybe by people in our lives. They can be transferred, as I'm going to tell you about my own story, they can actually be transferred onto us by ourselves. So, one more time, we tend to operate in our weaknesses because we're trying to live up to expectations never intended for us. And here's the fourth statement. Sometimes the machinery has to break down before we can realize what's happening and reset. Now, would you like for me to go over those four one more time now that you know all four of them and just sort of see them in a comprehensive set? Here we go. We are designed by our creator to live out of destiny and we're equipped with a set of strengths. Number two, if we're operating in our weaknesses, even those strengths will come back to bite us. Number three, we tend to operate in those weaknesses because we're trying to live up to expectations never intended for us. And number four, sometimes the machinery has to break down before we can realize what's happening and reset. Well, as I said a few moments ago, this is a very personal talk for me because those four statements that I just read to you, I've lived out. Um, <laughs> if you've been at New Spring for any length of time, if, especially if you were back here in 2010, you will remember in real time when this happened to me. If you've come since then, chances are you've heard me bring talks or series about lessons that I learned when I crashed. But a little over six years ago, with no warning, I just sort of like imploded. In fact, it, it just really happened in a period of hours. I just shut down. You could call it anything you want to call it. I didn't know what to call it. The people around me didn't know what to call it. All of a sudden, just Mark stopped being Mark. Now, about 20 years before that, I need to let you know that I got a clue that something was wrong with me. I was speaking, I knew a lot of things were wrong with me. I was speaking on the East Coast, and it was Sunday afternoon. I'd finished the weekend for the church I was speaking for, and I had to fly through Atlanta. Sometimes I think if you want to go to heaven, you have to go through Atlanta because it seems like I'm there so often. But on that Sunday afternoon, about 20 years before this happened, I was in the Atlanta airport, and I went to the bookstore, the little, little shop there, and I bought a copy of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, which is their newspaper. Being Sunday, there was the big edition on the, with all the inserts on the inside, and in those inserts was the Sunday magazine for the Journal-Constitution, and it featured primarily an article about attention deficit disorder. That was the first time I'd ever heard that term. But as I began to read that article, it was like my whole life was there in front of me. I know that ADD gets overdiagnosed, but you need to understand, I am on the extremes. I'm in the twilight zone of being ADD. There were like 25 symptoms, you know, and there was this thing, well, if you have 10 of these, and you might, if you have 15 of these, there's a good chance that you do. Listen, I had 24 out of 25, and as I shared with my staff when I got back, I had to work really hard on that 25th not to have that one. But when I was a kid growing up, I always did wonder why. I mean, I was an A student. I always wondered why there were things I could do that other people couldn't do, but then I couldn't do things that everybody could do. And I could listen to five conversations at one time and not remember any of them 20 minutes later. And I didn't like details unless I was interested in them. And if I was interested in them, I could hyper-focus on those details. But as I came back over the next few years and, and laughed about it, everybody around me laughed about it. And here's the thing. If you're a leader of an organization, people love you. And they will, your, your, your little quirkinesses will be cute until they're not cute anymore. My staff would laugh and they would just say, that's just Mark being Mark. He doesn't like details. Just get to the bottom line. And all the senior team has a rocking chair in their office because they know I will not stay and talk to them in a chair that does not move because I can't sit still. That's just true. 
I have a friend who loves me enough to tell me the truth. This is years ago, but he called me and he said to me one day, he said, every, day I, every time I call you, I know I have 45 seconds to talk to you. He said, after 45 seconds, you're going to be nice and polite, but I will know Mark like Elvis has left the building. So yeah, it was funny till it wasn't funny anymore. And when I crashed and collapsed, everybody was trying to figure out how can Mark get help. But one of the best things that's ever happened in my life was when I was seeking help during that series or that season of time, one of America's top psychiatrists in the field of ADD was willing to see me. I was in Atlanta at the time, and his next appointment was five months later, but because he was a believer and knew my story, he told me he could get me in the next day, and I sat down in his office with what felt like an hour in heaven. Because after clearly diagnosing my situation, he said something to me that changed my life. And I can tell you these last six years of my life have been the most productive. But I want to show you what he did. He looked at me after diagnosing me and talking to me for a good while, and he said, he said, as I told him my story, and he knew my story, he said, you took a church that had 350 people, and at that time we'd grown to 5,000. And this isn't true, but he said there are only a handful of people in the world who can do that. That's not true. He's just trying to be nice to me. But he said this. He said, we're not even sure that ADD is a disorder. He said, it's a collection of traits. And then he held up his right hand like this, and he said, let's, let's say they're 10. They're, they're more than 10, but let's say they're 10. He said, five of them make you superhuman, and they allow you to do what other people can't do. And then he held up his left hand like this. And he said, the other half are like a crocodile that drag you under the water. And he said, if you don't deal with those that are dragging you under the water, you won't be around to do those things that make you special. And then he did something, Mary Alice was in the room, and I think he knew my personality type well enough to know at this moment he needed to talk to Mary Alice and not me. And he said, don't let him go home, which I desperately wanted to come back and get reengaged. He said, don't let him go home until he performs this exercise. He said, I want you to take a legal piece of legal sheet, legal paper, and I want you to draw a line down the middle of that paper, make two columns, and on the left-hand side, I want you to make him tell you the things he does that drain him. And on the right-hand side, I want you to make him tell you the things that energize him, and don't let him go home until he says he will no longer do those things that drain him, and he will do the things that energize him. I didn't like that exercise very much, but it changed my life. Now, here's where it gets universal. Many of you, most of you don't have ADD, but here's the deal. You are a collection of traits. You are a collection of strengths and weaknesses. And if you're operating in the zone of your weaknesses, chances are you're getting close to a burnout. And all of us today have to examine ourselves. And we have to ask ourselves that hard question. Am I operating in the area of my strengths or am I operating in the area of my weaknesses? The story that you're about to hear from the Bible is the story of a human being very much like me. In fact, when I got up to leave that day, my wife and I were almost out of the doctor's door. When he turned and laughed at me, knowing I was a pastor, he said, let me ask you a question, pastor. He said, who in the Bible was ADD? And that fast, we both mouthed the word at the same time, Peter. I want to talk to you about Peter, but what you need to know was he did not start off life named Peter. He actually started off with a very different name. See, Jesus had to change his name from what it was to Peter. So let's meet him. The first time we see him in the, in the Bible, this is in Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Jesus is getting his posse together. And he stops by the, the lake, the Sea of Galilee. 
And there's some guys, some fishermen. These fishermen are very ordinary people. They're very blue-collar people. But Jesus didn't pick his posse at the university. He didn't pick his posse from the elites of the world. He just chose ordinary people. And so these brothers were out fishing. And so let's read it. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon. And his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishes of men. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Simon. Now, if you, if you don't know much about the Bible, it, 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 this may not connect with you. But if you grew up like I did learning the Bible and you know a little bit of this guy's story, Peter, you're going to laugh at this. Do you know what Simon means? It means one who listens carefully and processes. Now, if there was one thing Peter did not do, he did not listen. He didn't listen carefully, and Lord knows he didn't process stuff. But you see, when he was born, you know, when his parents were in the birthing suite and the nurses came in and said, hey, we've got to have a name here for the birth certificate, they looked at their little baby and they said, we think he's going to be an intellectual. We think he's going to be a deep thinker. We think he's going to be one of those people that just listens really carefully and is able to delve into the mysterious minutiae of life. Let's call him Simon. Well, I don't know how Simon grew up, but I know how I grew up. It was frustrating because I think he grew up with the expectations. He go to first grade. What's your name? Simon. Oh, we got a scholar here. I mean, all throughout his life, it was the standing joke. The one who listens carefully and processes, man, never in a million years. Because as I said, Simon didn't listen, and he didn't listen carefully. And even if he had listened carefully, he didn't think it through. And he said and did some of the dumbest things. Now, here's where our sermon is going to really get interesting. Because you see, if you look at Peter's life, you really have it in two sections. You have it in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Peter is always stepping in it and making a fool of himself, and we just want to cover our eyes. And then you see him in the book of Acts where he's a rock star. He's a legend. And so for a few moments today, we want to talk about that transition. What was it that took him from a total screw-up to being one of the greatest leaders who ever lived? He had a shift, and you and I, many of us, including me, need to have that same shift in our lives and understand what it's all about. Well, for just a few moments, let us explore some of Peter's most embarrassing moments. Oh, I don't want to pick on Peter. He's a great guy. He's a hero. I can't wait to meet him when we get to heaven. We have a lot in common. So I'm not trying to embarrass him here today. I just think Peter would want you to know some of the screw-ups that he made while he was struggling with trying to live up to people's expectations. Let me read you one of them. Um, Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration is what we call it. Basically, what happened in simple terms was God wanted Jesus to go up to the top of the mountain. He wanted him to take three of the disciples so that they could see that Jesus could be, was glorified. So they go up on the top of the mountain, Peter, James, John, Jesus. And while he's up there, Jesus starts shining. I mean, God just like causes him to shine. Well, that's pretty cool. But what really freaked the three guys out was all of a sudden there are two more guys there, and they're Moses and Elijah. Man, Moses died Hundreds of years before that, Elijah was taken to heaven. They grew up in Sunday school learning about Moses and Elijah. Now all of a sudden there's Jesus and Moses and Elijah up on top of the mountain. And Peter and James and John totally freaked out about this. Now I hope God kept this on video because I'd like to see this when I get to heaven. Because you understand Jesus was not a human who became God. He didn't begin in Bethlehem. He's been here from eternity. So Moses and Elijah, they knew Jesus. 
And there was just a sort of casual conversation going on up on the mountain among Moses and Elijah and Jesus. And basically the conversation went kind of like this. Moses and Elijah saying, man, we really missed you since you've been gone. You know, heaven's just not the same without you. You know, when are you coming home? Jesus like, well, you know, my flights, uh, I've got a few months here and I'm going to be crucified and, and then uh, rise from the grave and I should be home. I mean, that's how the conversation was going. Now, let's read what Peter did, because it would have been a good opportunity for Peter to listen carefully and process. But instead of doing that, the Bible says he blurted out, Lord, I mean, I mean it's like I said, this is a great time for him to just disappear. Moses, Elijah, Jesus, but not Peter. Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, with Peter has just now equated Jesus with Moses and Elijah. Now, at that moment, Jehovah God speaks. It says, even as he spoke, a bright cloud came over them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly beloved son. Listen. Oh, there's our word. Listen to him. Listen, I'm not trying to put words in the Almighty's mouth, but basically God, Jehovah said, shut up, Peter. Just Hush. And then there was one time Jesus was teaching, and he said to Simon, thanks for letting me borrow your boat. I'm going to get you a bunch of fish. Let's just go out into the deep water and catch some fish. And he's master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, I'll do it. Man, Jesus has been healing lame people and causing blind people to see and raising dead people. I mean, he says, Peter, take your boat out. We're going to catch some fish. Good opportunity for Peter to say, yes, sir. But Peter's like, well, yeah, if you say so. Then he went out and let his nets down. His boat nearly sank. You can read about that. And then here's the deal. How many of you, what would you give to have 10 minutes with Jesus where he would talk back to you? I remember being in the worst part of my crisis. I told Mary Alice one day, I'd give 10 years of my life to have 10 minutes with Jesus where he could answer back to me. Peter had three and a half years with God, God in skin. I mean, he had Jesus with him day and night. He could ask him anything he wanted to ask him. I mean, and after all, Peter wasn't exactly chairman of AT&T when Jesus called him. I mean, he's a blue-collar fisherman. But I want you to listen to what Peter asked Jesus. He said in Matthew 19, 27, we've given up everything to follow you. What do we get out of this? Oh, Peter, would you just shut up? And then there was that time, you remember, Jesus wanted to wash the disciples' feet? You know, like went around, washed all the disciples' feet, and he got to Peter, and Peter said, never at any time will you wash my feet. And Jesus was like, well, if you don't let me wash your feet, you don't have anything to do with me. And Peter's like, well, in that case, just wash my hair and my head and my hands. And Jesus said, no, feet will be fine. <laughs> this is just Peter. And then finally, Jesus said, well, I'm going to go to the cross and die. And then look at this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He's talking to God. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. And then there was that time when Jesus was about to leave, and he said, all of you are going to desert me. But Peter said in Matthew 26, 33, even if everybody else deserts you, I will never desert you. Oh, Yeah. And then in the most embarrassing moment, perhaps, other than his denial, Jesus is arrested. He's been telling them, my kingdom is not of this world. I'm not trying to start a revolution. And those who live by the sword will die by the sword. He's been trying to tell Peter that. But when they come to arrest Peter, Peter uh, Jesus, Peter gets the bright idea to get his sword out. 
And for some crazy reason, he swings his sword to cut off the head of the servant of the high priest who didn't want to be there in the first place. But he tries to cut the man's head off, and instead of cutting his head off, he slices off his ear. And again, this is a moment that I hope God keeps on video. I'd like to see it. Jesus had to reach down, pick up the poor man's ear, put it back on his head. Can you imagine how he looked at Peter? Peter, please. And then, of course, you know. You know the worst part of it. Because the Bible tells us that Peter denied Jesus. I mean, he said to one guy, man, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know this man. And just as the rooster crowed, Luke records that Jesus turned and looked at Peter. What a disaster. Listen, guys, if this story didn't have Jesus in it, it would have ended badly. Judas, as you know, did not have Jesus really in his life. He did something similar and committed suicide. I don't think Peter's story would have ended very well at all, but thankfully Jesus was in it. But something had happened early in the relationship. Watch this. This is in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verse 14. The Bible just simply says regarding Jesus, Simon, whom he named Peter. I, I don't know when this went down, but I think at some point Jesus must have looked at Simon and said, you know, <laughs> hey, this Simon thing's not working for us. You know, this, this listen carefully deal, I just don't think that's you. We're going to change your name to Rock. Now, think with me, please. Those are two very different sets of strengths. Those are two very different personality types. Simon, one who listens well and processes, we get the idea of, a, of an engineer, an intellectual, a thinker, uh, a person who's gifted in analysis. When we think about someone who is a rock, we think about somebody who is steadfast. We think about somebody who is willing to stand no matter what else is good. It's just a different personality type. But Jesus is saying, look, I don't see the Simon in you, but I see something else. I see rock. With that in mind, for the next few moments, I want to share five thoughts with you that I think are huge, regardless of your personality type. And here's the first one. Well, I'm really cautious about this. A lot of you didn't grow up in church, and sometimes I think you have the advantage on us. But for all of you who grew up in church, I think this first one's going to be a challenge for you. Because when we talk about what God does in our lives, we get into such mystical terms, sometimes we, we overstate or we incorrectly state. First thing, I don't think Peter's personality type ever changed. I think his personality was what it was when he was a baby. I think it was what it was when he was young. I think it was ultimately what it was when he was older. See, many of us want to be someone else or people pressure us to be someone else. I don't think Peter ever became the one who listens carefully and processes deeply. I just don't think he ever became that person. He always was what he was at the beginning. But that's okay because here's the second thought. God saw something in him that he did not see in himself or others did not see. In the book of Romans, the Bible tells us that God, verses chapter 4, verse 17, calls things that are not as though they were. Now, if I call things that are not as though they were, I'm lying. If I see a horse and I say, that looks like an eagle, then I'm calling something that is not 
I'm, I'm, I'm calling it something that it isn't. But God is not me. See, God can see what I can't see, and only that, God has transformative capabilities. So when God looked at Peter, he's like, I don't see the person who listens carefully and dives deeply into the minutia. I see a rock. Who am I talking to here today that you're grinding in low gear and you have been all your life because there are some expectations that have been transferred onto you and you're trying to be somebody you're never going to be. And you can't figure out why it isn't just your weaknesses that are working against you, it's also your strengths that are working against you. I mean, when you think about Peter, if you look at him, not only do we see his weaknesses in his bad moments, but we see the shady sides of his strength. I mean, Jesus has told him that he is going to be a rock. But here's the deal. Think, work with me for just a moment. There's a great deal of difference between being stubborn and being tenacious. It may present similarly, but there's an infinite difference between stubbornness and tenacity. See, stubbornness is locking in stupid. Tenacity is locking in good. Now, locking in is universal in both of those things. But when you see Peter, when he's trying to live up to expectations he can never live up to, he is stubborn. But when you see him in the book of Acts, that stubbornness has now become tenacity. So here's the thing that I want to challenge each one of us to do today. Instead of trying to live up to the expectations that have been placed on us, perhaps by our parents, I mean, I don't, I don't know why I'm saying this, but maybe it's for somebody here today. I've known people 50, 60 years of age whose parents are long gone, who are still grinding, trying to live up to expectations that were never intended for them. So maybe instead of trying to live up to expectations of our parents, expectations of the career, or maybe uh, of the culture, or maybe even your career field, how many of us would have the courage as God followers to go before our Father and say, God, when you look at me, what do you see? I mean, in Simon's case, God didn't see someone who listened carefully and processed. He saw somebody who was tenacious. Who among us today would experience freedom? Who in the North Auditorium or on television or on the internet, who among us would experience freedom today if we could lay aside those saccharine, artificial expectations that have been placed on us from the very beginning and get free from those and say, God, when you look at me, what do you see? Who did you make me to be? What is my destiny? What are the strengths that you've invested in me to achieve that destiny? How can I quit operating in the zone of my weaknesses and begin to operate in the zone of the strengths that you've invested in me? Well, here's the third thing. And like I said, this message is kind of herky-jerky because we go forward in Peter's life and we go back. In Peter's life, it all came to a head in a defining moment. You know, Peter had said to Jesus, when Jesus said, all of you will deny me, Peter said, not me, the others may may leave you, but I won't leave you. 
And that's when Jesus dropped the caution flag. I don't know if you're into racing or not, but if you, if you are, you know that when the marshal drops the caution flag, it means there's some kind of problem on the track and marshal slows everybody down and nobody can gain any advantage during that time. And I'm sure nobody likes the caution flag, but it's necessary. And Jesus is dropping the caution flag on Peter. And even though Peter said, hey, I'm going to be there no matter what, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith would not fail utterly. Look at this. So when you are converted. Now that's not a term that means when you have a spiritual experience. Actually, converted there would be a synonym for the word shift. It would be Peter when you are shifted. Peter when 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 you do when you when you make the change that you need to make. Peter when you are converted, strengthen your brothers. Watch this. If I hear Jesus say this, and I don't know what's coming next. See, here's the thing for those of us who grew up in church, we've already baked in what's coming next. But back up in time to this moment when we don't know what's coming next, when Jesus says to Peter, listen, Satan is out to get you, but I've prayed for you, so when you are shifted, help the rest of the guys. When I hear Jesus say that, I'm expecting a breakthrough. But what we see next is not a breakthrough. It is a breakdown. Peter is going to collapse He's not going to experience a breakthrough. He's going to experience a breakdown. Now, my hope for all of us in this talk is that the value of it will help many of us avoid a breakdown. That maybe before we get to the place where I got, maybe we will say, wait a minute, what are the real expectations for me? And what has God made me to be? And ask God for his help. But could I just say, for those of you who've either been in a breakdown or you're in one right now, Sometimes it takes a breakdown. In a moment of about as transparent candor as I can manage, I want to tell you something. I don't think I would have ever changed if I hadn't had a breakdown. You know what's crazy about my story? The expectations I was grinding under weren't placed on me by people. No church has ever been kinder to its pastor than you are. It wasn't the expectations that people placed on me. And it wasn't the expectations that I was taught when I was preparing for ministry. Do you know the expectations that grinded on me? The ones that I put on myself. See, as our church grew from 350 to, at that time, 5,000, I was trying to be everything that I'd been when the church was small. And I, I was living under the specter of failing and not being a good pastor. And so consequently, I was operating in the zone of my weaknesses many times in the process of burning out. But the thing about it is, as I look back, New Spring, there were people who tried to tell me. There were people who loved me. Lord knows Mary Alice first saying, Mark, you need to slow down. Mark, you need to take time off. I didn't like vacations. I'm like a pan caged panther when I'm on vacations. People would say to me, what's your hobby? I don't have a hobby. I love work. I'm, and, I, and people were trying to say, Mark, caution flag. But you see, I'd always been large and in charge. I'd always been the adult in the room. I, yeah, I can absorb it. I can take it. I don't know that I would have ever changed if I hadn't had a breakdown. And for some of us who are a little bit on the stubborn side, 
Sometimes it takes a breakdown, but if it ever does take a breakdown, and my prayer for you is that it doesn't, but if it ever takes a breakdown, the one thing about a breakdown is it does communicate this, you can't go on functioning in your weakness. That's what the doctor was trying to tell me that day when he said, I will not let you go home unless you promise no longer to function in the area of your weaknesses. And I can tell you, these last six years have been the most productive years of my life. Peter experienced a breakdown. All right, I'm going to take you back again because this fourth point is really, really important. This, this is, if you're young, if you're young here today, this, this, is, this is your point. I think Peter suspicioned early on his destiny. I think he knew Jesus had singled him out for leadership and he could see himself leading. I mean, here's the thing. Six months before Peter blows up and, and has this breakdown, I think if somebody came to him and said, Peter, let me tell you what's going to go down here. Man, Jesus is going to like finish his ministry. He's going to die on a cross. And he's going to rise from the grave. In three days, he's going to go back to heaven. He's going to, he's going to leave you in charge, and you're going to preach this sermon, and thousands of people are going to like come to Christ. I think Peter's like, yeah, that's what I'm here for. Duh. I know I'm stronger than the rest of these guys. I mean, he wouldn't leave Andrew in charge. But look, work with me for a moment. If you had caught Peter after that third time he denied Jesus, and he went out and he cried and he was wanting to quit, and if you caught him that night and said, hey, Peter, you know what? In a little over 40 days, you're going to give a talk, and it's going to be the first day of the church, and thousands of people are going to respond, and you're going to lead the first church. I think Peter would have said never in a million years. But here's the thing. He was way closer to doing what God had destined him to do on that night when he was weeping bitterly than six months before when he would have been full of himself. See, here's the thing. Most of us have a sense of what God's ultimate destiny is for us. What we don't know is what lies in between here and there. Oh, this is so important. I'm, I promise you, I'm giving you solid gold stuff right now. When we begin to follow God and we begin to get a sense of what his ultimate destiny is for us, we start imagining the path that God is going to take to get us there. And because God is so great and so awesome, we will imagine a series of best-case scenarios, rosiest scenarios. God has called me. He's going to use me to do this important thing. So consequently, because he's God, he's going to like make all these doors open and just to like carry me on a cloud to get there. The weird thing about it is you could be totally right about what God's ultimate destiny is. The issue is you don't have the first clue as to how God is going to get you there. And here's the strange thing about God. We tend to think it's going to be on the moments of our greatest successes that God will get us to where ultimately he wants us to be. Chances are it'll be your darkest moments and your most embarrassing days and your moments of extreme weakness. I don't know why, it's just how he rolls. See, Peter, Peter had a sense that he was going to do great things for God. He just didn't realize that in between where he was and where he would ultimately be, that God was going to allow him to go to some very dark places. The reason I say that here today is that some of you are in those low moments and you're about to give up and say, well, I guess I'll just never be what God wants me to be. Who knows? You could be very close. Embrace that moment. Just try to get rid of all these expectations, these artificial expectations that people have placed upon you. Just look to your heavenly Father and say, God, when you see me, what do you see? Well, the fifth and the final thing, we've, we've really kind of already gotten there, is that Peter ultimately 
lived out everything Jesus saw in him. Like I said, you open the Gospels and read about Peter and you want to cover your, you want to cover your face. You open the book of Acts, he's like a different person. But the cool thing about him in the book of Acts is he's no longer stubborn. He's no longer locking in stupid. He's locking in good. And and maybe he never gets to be that person who listens carefully and processes because God doesn't need that person. He needs a person who will speak out for him in clear and simple terms. So I don't know if he ever became the person who listens. I doubt that he did. But I'll tell you one thing he did do. He became a rock. I mean, you just start looking at some of the stories of Peter. I love it. I mean, here's Pentecost, first day of the church. And you need to understand, I don't think when Peter started the sermon, I don't think he knew he was preaching a sermon. Because you see, Jesus had told his followers, there were 120 of them at that point, he said, just stay at Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. Well, they didn't know what was going to happen when the Holy Spirit came. Holy Spirit came, and all of a sudden they were able to speak in languages that they didn't understand, and it caused all this caused all this crazy stuff to happen with the crowd. And the crowd is like, well, we know what's wrong with these guys. These guys are drunk. And honestly, I believe Peter preached one of the greatest sermons in history in Acts chapter 2, just trying to explain that they weren't drunk. Read it. I mean, it gets into this powerful message, but really it's just, hey, wait a minute, we're not drunk. It's just 9 o'clock in the morning. Let me tell you what you're seeing. And when he gets through preaching, thousands of people come to Jesus. One of my favorite stories about Peter is that not long after the church exploded in growth, the powers that were were trying to shut it down. And so they arrested Peter, and they beat him up pretty good, tried to threaten him, and they said to Peter, hey, you don't say the name of Jesus anymore. Don't preach in his name anymore. We messed you up real good. The next time you preach in Jesus' name, we're going to really mess you up. You know what Peter said? Peter said, you just do what you have to do. But we're like an 18-wheeler truck rolling downhill with no brakes. We can't stop. We can't stop telling you what we've seen and heard. If you're going to beat us, you may as well beat us, but we're not going to stop. Here's the deal. When we look at Peter back in the story of Jesus, we like cover our eyes. I look at him when he stands there in front of the powers that be that says, and he's saying, do what you have to do. We're not going to stop. And I'm like, give me some of what he's got. Well, as you can imagine, that didn't go well politically. And it isn't long after that that they arrest Peter, and they've, like, set his execution for the next morning. So Peter's in jail the night before his execution. He's going to kill him at 6 o'clock in the morning. The cool th- I love this story. This is another one I hope God kept. We can watch someday. God, like, sends an angel to get Peter out of jail the night before he's going to be killed. The angel has trouble waking him up. That is a fact. I mean, he's going to die next morning at 6 o'clock. Peter's like, well, i got to get some sleep. <laughs> of course, it's kind of it's hard to scare a man with death after you've seen somebody come out of the grave, but that's another matter. But when they finally did kill him 30 years later, under the reign of the Emperor Nero, according to legend, They came to get him, and they said, well, you're going to be executed. And because you're a Christian, we're going to crucify you. And Peter said, well, I'm not worthy to be crucified the way my Lord was crucified me, crucified. If you're going to crucify me, crucify me upside down. I like that guy. I don't think he ever got to be the person who listened, but he was a rock. It wasn't what people saw in him, it was what Jesus saw in him. 
And when the time came where Peter said, I'm going to let go of that, and it took a breakdown in Peter's life like it did in mine and some of us. When he let go of all those expectations that people had on him, he decided, God, I'm going to just go with what you have for me. He became one of the greatest leaders in the history of the world. For some of us who are grinding in low gear because we're living with expectations that we'll never measure up to because they're just not us, may we go before God and say, God, who do you see when you see me? Don't let me function anymore in my weaknesses. Let me function in the strengths that you've invested in me to achieve my destiny. And I promise you, if you ever get to that place, and this is my testimony, you will experience the most productive days of your life. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for letting us be here today and for what you've taught us by your Holy Spirit. Would you just answer that prayer for each one of us here? In Jesus' name. Now, here's the thing. You could be here today and you say, Mark, I'm not even sure I have a relationship with God. Could I give you the greatest news of all time? You can have it by asking. You don't get it by joining a church. You don't get it by giving money or doing religious stuff. A relationship with God, with God is a free gift, and it's given by asking. And if you're here and you want that, here's some things that you need to know. God loves you. You cannot save yourself. We're all spiritually bankrupt. But that's okay because Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. The blood that came out of his body was a currency that paid for everything we've ever done wrong. And then three days later, he came out of the grave proving that he's God. And all God asks you to do is to believe and to trust him and to ask him for the gift. If you're willing to do that today, I'm going to pray a prayer that asks. These aren't magic words, but I'll pray them slowly so you can decide if you want to own them and say them to God. And you can join me. You ready? Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me anyway. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. And since he's alive, I want him as my king. Would you forgive me of my sins and make me your child and give me the power to live the life that you've destined for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Wherever you are, you could say, Mark, I just prayed a prayer. I have no idea what just happened to me. Well, you just did the most important thing you'll ever do in your life. But I'll tell you what, I've got something I want to give you that will help you sort of like get started. This is free. If you're in the North Auditorium, there's a guest services right by you. If you're in the South Auditorium, there's guest services right outside the door. I have a bag for you. In it is the same Bible I preach from, a book I wrote, and a DVD that will help you take your first starts. And all you got to do is take a talk to us card back there and say, I pray with Mark. And they won't hassle you, stalk you, ask for your account number, anything like that. They just want to give you this, okay? So please don't leave without it if you just prayed to receive Jesus. Thanks for being here. I'll see you next weekend. <laughs>